1: John Binet Ramsey. She was strangled with a cord. Little Miss Colorado. Six-year-old murder victim, John Binet Ramsey. Unknown intruder. Her brother. Say
2: John Bonnet Ramsey. Oh my God. Please.
1: They still have not interviewed the parents. I- John Ramsey didn't do it, and we didn't have a clue of anybody who do My life has been hell from that day forward, and I want nothing more than to find out who was responsible for this.
2: It's been over twenty years since John Binet Ramsey was murdered inside her home, and still to this day, we are looking for the killer. We are looking for who did this. Now, the experts who have looked at this case over the years, there are some that point toward the intruder theory, as it has become known. Proponents of the intruder theory include A and E, who did their documentary on the John Binet case, as well as famous retired FBI agent John Douglas and retired law enforcement officer Lou Smith. John Douglas believes that there was an intruder and that the motive for the killing was something against John Ramsey. Somebody had an ax to grind against John Ramsey. Maybe this was revenge, had it out for John and Patsy. We don't know, but that's part of his theory. Lou Smith, on the other hand, believes in the intruder theory as well with a slight variation. He believes that we are looking for somebody that was sexually motivated, that this was a a pedophile that broke into the home with the sole purpose of sexually assaulting this young girl attempting to kidnap her, but unsuccessfully. Now we've put together a list of potential suspects in this case. So let's get into some of these suspects and some of the interesting weirdos in this case. And I'd like to start off with a man named J.T. Koufax, a.k.a. James Michael Thompson. He was 34 years old back in 1997 when he was arrested in June. This for deciding to set fire to the Ramseys' unoccupied home on 15th Street. He did this, as he says, not because he had anything against the Ramseys, but because he wanted to get back at the authorities. He attempted to set fire to the home by lighting newspapers and pages from Anne Rice's famous book, Interview with a Vampire. He lights these things on fire and then he's stuffing them through the mail slot at the Ramsey's home. His plan failed due to the general construction of the home. The floor, from my understanding, is marble. And so the burning pages, once stuffed through the slot, land on the marble floor and lay there until burning out. This did, however, manage to leave a good amount of soot on the walls and the ceiling. Okay, so if J.T. Koufax, a.k.a. James Michael Thompson, didn't do this because he had it out for the Ramseys, well, what was his beef with the authorities? Koufax was employed as a cadaver transporter by a Denver company. This occupation and Koufax's actions will lead to two other arrests. One, for when he had a call to go to the Boulder County morgue for a pickup, while he was waiting around, he noticed the logbook and the entry with John Benay's name on it. He tore the sheet out of the logbook and took some additional pages as well. This would lead to a theft charge for stealing pages from a coroner's logbook showing the arrival of John Benay's body at the county morgue. His other arrest came when he attempted to walk out of a photo processing store without paying for the rolls of photos he picked up. The photos turned out to be pictures of corpses with party favors and signs attached to the bodies with phrases such as getting fired isn't the end of the world or yeehaw and happy birthday. He called the photos works of art. He served time for all of these charges. This is somebody that's very strange with some very strange actions and behaviors that seem to be circling around this case. I don't believe that he has ever been officially named a suspect captain. Next we have Gary Olivia. He's 32 year old sex offender living in Boulder, Colorado. When John Benet was killed, Mm -hmm. the convicted pedophile had been living in the area on and off. In 2000, Gary was arrested for a drug charge. When searching the man, police find a magazine cutout of JonBenet Ramsey in his backpack. According to Rolling Stone magazine, the Ramsey's private investigator, Ollie Gray, once referred to Olivia's ties to John Binet as a, quote, bombshell arrest in the case and lambasted the Boulder PD for failing to consider him a more credible suspect. Soon after, Olivia's high school friend, Michael Vail, stepped forward with an allegation supporting Gray's suspicion. Vail claimed that not long after the murder, a distraught Olivia called him on the phone and confessed to his longtime pal that he, quote, hurt a little girl.
0: I thought he actually called him on the 26th.
2: Vale makes some strong claims about Olivia, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but they are... Well, they're disturbing to say the least. Vail also said that, in his opinion, the knots for the garrote that strangled John Binet were similar to those used in an incident where Olivia attempted to choke his mother to death with a telephone cord. Mm-hmm. And when Gary Olivia was arrested, they also found in his possession a stun gun. Several experts on this case have said after viewing photos of John Binet's body, that the attacker may have used a stun gun to subdue and control the child. Olivia has arrest for possessing child pornography as well. Olivia, by his own admission, lived about eight blocks away from the Ramses, and was seen and photographed at the one-year memorial vigil held for John Binet in front of the Ramses Boulder home.
0: Yeah, he's not hard to pick out because he looks like the creep.
2: He looks like a guy that when you close your eyes and go, okay, what, what kind of guy do I picture that's been convicted of these types of charges? Mm-hmm. You go, oh, and you open up your eyes and you see his picture. You go, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, he's, he's a creepy but also scary looking man, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, he's not a guy that so, some of these pedos, you go, hey, leave me in a room with that guy. I'll take care of him. This guy, you might not want to be locked in a room with him.
2: Well, and I didn't go into all of Vale's allegations against what type of person and what this dude is capable of. Right. Because it's very disturbing and, and some shocking things to hear. But what I can say is this is an individual that if Vale is correct, that if his allegations are in fact true, then this man is very violent. And very violent towards those weaker than him, towards people that are and animals that are just kind of defenseless.
0: Wasn't there rumors that he had a shrine to John Bonet?
2: I saw those rumors as well. The only thing that I could back up was the statement that there was a picture on his person at the time of his arrest of John Bonet that had been cut out of a magazine. I couldn't verify this elsewhere. But according to Rolling Stone magazine, they say he's been cleared by DNA testing for the JonBenet murder.
0: Yes. This um, famous DNA.
2: Right. Next up, captain, we have a man named Michael Helgoth. They call him boot man or simply boots. He's another potential suspect. This, according to Ollie Gray, remember the Ramsey's private investigator, Mm -hmm. Michael Helgoth who worked in a nearby auto salvage yard, he was apparently in some kind of property dispute with the Ramses Now, this could be one of many motivating factors for this when the then 26-year-old man went to seek revenge against John Ramsey. In 1997, the Boulder District Attorney delivered a speech at a press conference complete with the promise of justice for John Binet and that this case will be solved. He pointed out that they have suspects, and as law enforcement continues to work their investigation, that list of suspects will shrink until there is just one left, you speaking to the killer. This was a powerful announcement, scripted with carefully chosen words, letting the killer know that the Boulder DA was zeroing in on a new suspect. Helgoth, according to his co-worker at the time of the murder, this is John Kennedy, he says Helgoth exhibited a bevy of disturbing behaviors. Sparing everyone the details, he was known for what I call severe cruelty to animals. He once said to Kennedy, I wonder what it would be like to crack a skull. Now, anybody that's listened to our JonBenet autopsy episode knows exactly what we are hinting at here. Mm-hmm. In November of 1996, he told his co-worker that he and an associate were going to make fifty to $60,000 each. Remember, the ransom note was for $118,000 total. Then, after Christmas, Helgoth seemed depressed. And his co-worker says he thinks he was depressed because he did not make this large amount of money that he was talking about in November.
0: Yeah, because on the side... He would buy old vehicles and restore them. So they had these plans to buy certain vehicles, and well, now he didn't have the money. He, the The money didn't come in that he was claiming he was going to get.
2: So if he stood to make fifty or sixty thousand dollars from some kind of unknown business adventure, then with, right. But a, yeah, he said he could buy partner. up all these cars and turn it into even more money. Is what you're saying? Right. Oddly enough. And this could just be a coincidence. It could be something incredibly important. But the day after the DA speech that says we are zeroing in on a suspect, Mm -hmm. Helgoth, he turns up dead. After his death, police search his things and photos of his.
0: Well, let's just go back because most people believe it was a suicide. But because of certain pieces of evidence, it could lead somebody to believe that it was possibly murder and set up to look like a suicide.
2: Correct. When they're searching his items, they're searching photos of his police saw two things of particular interest. One, a stun gun mm-hmm. and two, a pair of black high tech brand boots. This is believed that they would have matched or possibly match one of two sets of unidentified footprints found in the Ramsey's basement. Even more disturbing within Helga's video collection was a news station story about an unsolved murder seemingly hidden in the middle of a movie. Law enforcement stated that the video plays along and then boom, in the middle of this movie, it breaks to like news coverage. It all of a sudden has news coverage on there from Channel 4 regarding the abduction and murder of a five-year-old girl who was found stuffed into a sleeping bag in Deer Creek Canyon. This case is from 1993. Now, as you were getting to here, Captain, this is the time for the speculation and something that many people have offered their opinions on over the years. The belief is officials found an unidentified boot print and an unidentified shoe print at the crime scene, and Helgoth owned boots that would match that print. Helgoth caught wind that he was a suspect, and decided to take his own life committing suicide just a day after the 1997 press conference. Mm-hmm. The famous press conference where district attorney Alex Hunter says, "I want to say something to the person or persons that committed this crime. Mm-hmm. The person or persons that took this baby from us. I mention the list of suspects narrows and soon there will only be one left on the list and it will be you. You have stripped us of any mercy." we may have had in the beginning of this case. We will see that justice is served in this case and that you pay for what you did. Many people believe that the district attorney was hinting at the idea of seeking the death penalty for whoever is responsible for this murder. Mm -hmm. And this could scare the offender even more. So the thought and speculation here, Captain, his death, his suicide being a further sign of guilt that he was close or felt that he was close to being apprehended. So what if Helgoth was a suspect? And what if he did, as many believe, some people have suggested he could have had an accomplice. Well, if so, then many point toward John Stephen Giggs being the accomplice. John, a man with a criminal record that court documents summarized as violence and a history of sexual assault. What makes this theory even more complicated is the suggestion Helgoth did not commit suicide, but was killed by someone, maybe Gigix this to prevent Helgoth from confessing during the interrogation or from turning himself in and then singing like a bird and turning in his accomplice as well.
0: Well, I think of the crime scene, they found the gun in his subdominant hand, not his dominant hand.
2: Yeah, so he shot himself, and he shot himself in the chest, or somebody shot him in the chest and placed the gun in his hand.
0: It's also a weird place to shoot yourself if you're trying to kill yourself.
2: Correct. Now, Gigix in his defense, and by all accounts that I could find, Captain, of his own free will, mm-hmm. he was the one that reached out and contacted Boulder authorities. And he says he provided them with documentation that proves he was not in Boulder, Colorado on December 25th, 1996.
0: Right, but let's think about this for a second. He's running around saying that he's going to get some money, come into some money, possibly fifty to 60000 that would put us at the 118 mark that's in the ransom note. Mm-hmm. So he's not getting this money from his partner. It doesn't seem like maybe they're being hired by somebody else. So maybe, possibly the person that was going to hire them since it was about botched job and was afraid that maybe they would go to authorities that they got rid of him. And then the partner that was involved contacts the police because he's afraid that the same thing that happened to Helgoth is going to happen to him.
2: Yeah. The, the, the problem with Helgoth is there's so much speculation around him regarding, I mean, everything about the guy. One, is he even connected? Two, did he ever think he was a suspect? Right. Three, did he commit suicide for, I mean, people commit suicide for a million different reasons. Or was he murdered by somebody to cover, it could have covered anything up.
0: Well, one of the reasons why he is a pretty big suspect in a lot of people's eyes when they're looking at this case is because seeing is believing It's good to be seen and it's good to see you. And when you see the pictures from either the suicide scene or a murder scene, you see the stun gun. You see the boots that possibly match the prints found in the Ramsey's home. So I think just by seeing it, you go, oh, well, there it is. It's right in front of us.
2: Possibly. I think the problem here with Helgoth is, again, the speculation involved and and the leaps you have to make to make him a really good suspect. One, we have no confirmation that a stun gun was used in the attack against John at all. It's just Correct. that that's in itself speculation. is speculation. So
0: but right, but what I'm stating is once you see at this suicide scene or, or this murder scene, oh, there's a stun gun in the picture. There there's the high tech boots in the picture. I think that's why people have been able to make other leaps because they can see something and seeing is believing.
2: Well, what you're seeing there is evidence that you cannot exclude him as a suspect. You're seeing things that point to possible reasons that would make him a suspect. If in fact those puzzle pieces fit somewhere, we can't confirm that they fit regarding the boots themselves and the unidentified boot print or shoe print Mm -hmm. that was found in the Ramsey's basement. That's very troubling that we have, unidentified shoe prints in the Ramsey's basement. We have people that, that fight and argue about was it an intruder, was it an inside job? You could take those unidentified prints and make an argument for either side of that argument. You, you, you There were so many people in the basement, that people coming in and out, mm-hmm. be it before the murder or after, because we have a contaminated crime scene, that it could be that the, the prints mean nothing. Well, right, but the prints could a- also point toward a possible intruder. The 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 trouble again with Helgoth is just one more factoid in there is that we don't have a confirmed size for this boot print. There's mm-hmm. no there's nobody out there that has said they were absolutely this size. In fact, it has been ruled that they could not determine the size, the exact size of the boot print. Mm-hmm. So would in fact those boots even match up with that print.
0: And again, with this famous DNA, I believe they've asked the family of Hal Goth to cooperate and, and let them try to get some DNA to test, and I believe they have said no.
2: I'm glad you threw that in there because this is one thing that we've run into with this case. It's been reported so many times over the more than 20 years now. And reported so many different ways by so many different sources. It's tough to keep things straight sometimes. And one thing that I found extremely troubling in regards to Michael Helgoth is several sources in print say he's been cleared by DNA. And I, I throw that back at the wall to see if it sticks. And I don't know that it sticks because I wonder if if truly if the jury is out, if still out on this one because not every source states that he has been cleared. Well, in loose, fact, in fact, as you pointed out, I have some sources that say they they're seeking DNA. They're seeking more evidence on this particular suspect.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. I was telling you that uh, Lou Smith's family has taken the list of suspects that he basically was narrowing down his search. And they've been asking those individuals to submit DNA. A lot of them have. And based off that DNA, they've been able to clear that individual. Or based off more investigative work, they've been able to clear that individual. So it's interesting that his family decided to keep going with his work and and believing in this work, even though they don't come from a law enforcement background. And in that documentary I was watching about the family... Uh, going after new suspects, that's what it stated that they have already asked for the DNA and have been denied it by the family. So, but again, a lot of these documentaries put in whatever evidence they want to go with their narrative.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend
0: that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
2: New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters, You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: All right. Cheers, mates.
2: Cheers to you, Captain. This week, we are drinking Christmas ale by the wonderful people at Great Lakes Brewing Company. Garage grade five out of five bottle caps. Sound the trumpets. Wait, we don't have any trumpets. (laughs) But thank you again to everybody who has donated to the beer fund at any time this year. And if you've donated and not heard your name, we will get to you in the new year. Now, Captain, we are on the trail of the possible intruder into the Ramsey home that may have killed JonBenet Ramsey. And if we're talking intruders, well, we would be remiss to not talk about possible Santa Claus coming down the chimney into the Ramsey home and killing this young, innocent girl. We are referencing, of course, Bill McReynolds, who is now deceased. He was a friend of the Ramseys who Dressed up like Santa Claus to entertain the neighborhood children, this at several of Patsy's famous Christmas gatherings.
0: He went as far to introduce himself as Santa Bill and liked when people called him Santa Bill.
2: If you think he makes a good suspect, and if you like the Santa Claus theory, the theory may go something like this. This is from Rolling Stone. McReynolds was rumored to have paid a little too much attention to John JonBenet going so far as to arrange a secret visit from Santa Claus this after Christmas. Now this is complete speculation. We know that John JonBenet referenced a secret visit from Santa Claus after Christmas. Right. We don't know that if that means it was Bill McReynolds, Santa Bill that set this up. Supposedly, He wanted John Binet to be his, quote, special friend, going so far as to bring a vial of glitter gifted to him by the six-year-old with him into heart surgery. Even stranger, he asked his wife to mix the gold glitter in with his ashes if he were to die. This particular story generated buzz in the Denver Post, but failed to amount to anything more than what many have called the sensationalized character assassination of a friendly old man. That's what they say, but I say let's look at this a little more closely because I think some people will see more than just a sensationalized character assassination. Bill McReynolds is a retired Colorado University journalism professor. He retired in 1992. He was about 66 years old when John Binet was killed. He grew his beard long, so a natural long white beard. This was when he signed up to play a role in a local play. Then later, he was hired by Marilyn House to play Santa at the mall. He played Santa for the Ramses in 1994, 95, and 96 at their parties. He had bypass surgery on August 23, 1996. He and his wife, Janet, were invited by the Ramseys to attend John JonBenet's memorial service. Some publications state that John Binet gave McReynolds a tour of the Ramsey home in 1995. Some publications say 1996. Either way, what seems to be clear here, apparently this did happen. The only thing in question is which year.
0: Yeah, and I would argue that it's possible that it happened both years. Hey, Santa, let me show you the house again.
2: One report I found, Captain, says that John Binet called Bill Old Sam. Now, another story that would have the year in question is John Binet gave him a vial of glitter that she said was stardust. He would later say in all of the years he played Santa and for all the kids that he saw throughout that time, she was the only one to give him a gift. Again, some publications say she gave him the stardust in 95. Some say 96. One publication, which I think could in fact have it correct, says this happened on two occasions once in 95 and again in 96. It would have happened, had to have happened in 95 for the story about his heart surgery to be correct. His alibi for the night in question was he was sleeping. He went to bed at 10 p.m. Now, Captain, I think he and his wife were at their mountain home, like a weekend vacation home. Mm -hmm. This would have been about 30 miles away. This alibi was investigated by many. The alibi includes more than just his wife. At least five other people would have been present that night. Here's where things get strange. The McReynolds, their nine-year-old daughter was kidnapped on the day after Christmas, December 26th, 1974. Mm -hmm.
0: 22 years before.
2: Quick with the math. Then we also have Janet McReynolds, his wife. She wrote a play called Hey Rube. The play is a fictional account of the basement murder of 16-year-old Sylvia Likens in Indianapolis, Indiana.
0: Well, hold on a second. So the... Daughter is kidnapped with her friend, and I believe the friend was actually molested, and the daughter witnessed that, but the daughter herself was not molested.
2: And both were let go.
0: Yes, and this was never solved. And then two years later, his wife will write this play that's based off a a, a different uh, crime.
2: Correct, and people point toward the basement murder of a young girl as being a connection here right What was
0: the motivation for writing the the play
2: are these two factors are they coincidence or just too much to be a coincidence i would actually cross the second one out this janet writing the play about the murdered teen who was killed in a basement and i state that because that case it's a real life case and it's extremely famous case at least two books are written about the case. And then later in 2007, the film *An American crime was released. This is a very good movie disturbing and haunting. That is about the life and murder of Sylvia Likens. We should point out too, that other than being a child, Sylvia was 16 and being killed in a basement. The murders could not be more different. Mm -hmm. Sylvia's case was quickly solved. She was not killed In her basement, she was staying or living with a caregiver who turned out to be a sadistic, old, and evil woman. And she and her children, along with some of their friends, killed Sylvia. Shortly after the memorial service for John Binet, Bill and Janet went to Spain. So this made them very difficult to interview for police. This was a long trip. The McReynolds say, they were not hiding from anyone. They didn't run away to Spain. In fact, the Spain trip was a coincidence. They had, they proved that the trip was planned and booked well in advance, this being in June of 1996. John Ramsey suggested that maybe Bill McReynolds dressed as Santa, fed JonBenet pineapple the night that she was killed, and that he sat next to her while she ate and he drank a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. We point to this. Because we know from some of the crime scene photographs that they photographed a bowl of what appears to be pineapple on the table, and nearby you have what appears to be a cup of tea. You yeah, know, it's got the d- little the little tea bag down in the cup.
0: Yeah, and we don't have fingerprints on the bowl. We don't have JonBenet Ramsey's fingerprints on the bowl, but we do have a pineapple-like substance that was found in her stomach. So we know at some point, of that evening she ate pineapple and then the parents claim they never fed her pineapple before she went to bed
2: and apparently bill was known to drink hot tea
0: well I, I actually believe it's it'd be a little bit easier than that because if we have a six-year-old girl that i believe it was on the 23rd or 24th i'm not really for sure but when she gets in the argument with her friend's mom and says santa claus is going to visit me of course he's going to visit you he visits every kid on christmas no the good no. ones yeah no no she says after christmas a special visit to me this is the thing in the case that has always been so odd and so is it possible that she fell asleep on the ride home from all the parties She's a little six-year-old girl. She's tired. She falls asleep, and then she wakes up, and she goes, oh, tonight Santa Claus is going to come visit me. And so she went downstairs on her own, fed herself pineapple, waiting for this visit from Santa Claus.
2: I I agree with you 100%. I mean, the this is one of the more odd details within this story. It's one of the very few items within this story that's almost foreshadowing that something very bad is about to happen. It's, it just doesn't, it's something that, that in hindsight makes sense that it, that it lines up and it's, it's eerie. It -hmm. truly is. I put this in the same category as the, the phantom nine one one call that came from their Christmas party. Right now, Bill was not without his own secrets. He regularly visited adult bookstores. This unbeknownst to his wife. John Ramsey suggested that SBTC in the ransom note, ransom letter, as I would call it, could actually be SBJC, which he said could stand for Santa Bill Janet Claus.
0: Mm-hmm. But, d- but, but, but hold on a second, too. Uh, Janet, his wife, is a mo- movie critic. That that's one of the things she writes for the paper. So. It doesn't have to be Santa Bill, Janet Claus. It could still be SBTC. And some people think that means Santa Bill, the critic.
2: Interesting. I I like trying to figure out what SBTC or maybe it is SBJC, Mm -hmm. which I agree with you, you. When you look at it on the paper, it's possible that it could be the intention was to write a J, not a T. I think it's fascinating to try to figure out what that could stand for. However, I think none of them that I have heard, none none that anyone has pointed out have, have I gone, ooh, that's interesting. Every one of them seemed to be a, a leap, like just a weird connecting words that I don't think should be connected.
0: Yeah, but I mean, look at the BTK Strangler. BTK, what the heck does that mean? We'd have no clue what that meant until we have the actual killer coming out and stating this is what that means.
2: Right. When the McReynolds returned to Boulder from Spain, they cooperated with the police in the way of submitting fingerprints, blood, hair, and handwriting samples. Later, Boulder DA Mary Lacey says that she had McReynolds as her prime suspect for a time. His handwriting is listed as questionable. But his DNA is not a match, according to a candyrose.com, which has a large database on this case.
0: Yeah, but there's also some speculation that his DNA was never collected. So, it, again, it's one of those details in this case that you can't find the correct answer.
2: One article does state that the handwriting sample, quote, eliminated Bill McReynolds. Again, as you just pointed out, there are many details within this story that are argued different ways. Now, we do know that the Ramses, by their own admission, hired a private investigator, I'm sorry, private investigators to watch Bill's house for some time. Mm-hmm. So the Ramses obviously, not only just John's statements, but also the actions of the Ramses paying people to watch Bill and his home for a period of time. Next captain, we have Santa's son, Jesse McReynolds. He was interesting to police because of his police record. He served two and a half years in an Arizona prison for aggravated robbery and kidnapping, and he has an unverifiable alibi for the night in question. Mm -hmm. Jesse lives in Nederland, Colorado. This is about a 30-minute drive to Boulder. Jesse says he was home alone that night drinking scotch. And then he took some of his prescription medication and he went to bed that night.
0: Scotch, 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 scotch. I love scotch.
2: Home alone that night. Mm-hmm. He he has provided police with fingerprints, blood, and handwriting samples. Steve Thomas, a detective that we've referenced many times who worked the case, right. says that the handwriting sample eliminated Jesse McReynolds' That's in his opinion or provided to him by the experts hired by the DA.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's stay on Santa Bill for a little bit because this kidnapping 22 years on the same day, Mm -hmm. it just seems very fishy. And it also seems very fishy to me that his daughter and her friend were taken. We now have a sexual assault on a minor but not to his daughter. And I would think that in this case, that's not solved. The parents would be suspects just like they would be in the the Ramsey case. So I like that as a key piece of evidence. The other thing too is I can't get over the fact that a six-year-old is saying that Santa Claus is going to visit her after Christmas. And that same six-year-old is found in her basement dead. And that she has a relationship, probably too close of a relationship, with a man that is a family friend that plays Santa Claus. Then when you get this odd ransom note, it seems like we have a lot of movie references. Well, who's going to watch a lot of movies? A movie critic. Who's going to probably watch those movies with his critic wife? The husband, Santa Bill. The other thing that I find odd is that Santa Bill would carry around these stuffed animals with him. They were like his helpers. And most of the time, they were dressed in Christmassy outfits. And there was a bear that was found on John JonBenet Ramsey's bed. You can see it in the crime scene photos. Now, supposedly, this bear has gone missing since. And uh, I looked for days because I thought this was as important as... John Binet saying that she's going to be visited by Santa Claus after Christmas. Now, one source that I found said that this bear was actually bought for her. Remember how she won Miss Christmas? Yeah. They said that a lot of the people participating got these Santa Claus bears. But these bears look very similar to the bears that St. Um. Uh, Santa Bill would carry around and they even ask his son about him. Hey, you see this bear? Doesn't this look kind of like what your dad carries around? And he's like, that looks pretty much identical to something he would carry around. So I find that odd. What another thing about Santa Bill is when you're asleep and yes, you're 30 miles away. So you'd have to get in your car. That's a long drive. If everybody else is asleep, As long as you get back before they wake up, you're good to go. So I don't really count that as a solid alibi.
2: I question the alibi as well. Um, I mean, there's more than just his
0: wife, but.
2: Yeah, and I wanted to point out that it was investigated by many, and that includes, you know, Boulder detectives, it includes uh, journalists, it includes the uh, private investigators. I mean, it's a lot of different people coming from a lot of different angles that did investigate that alibi. The problem is I don't know what investigated that alibi means. That's the mm-hmm. only statement given. I don't have, we don't have confirmation that says, Oh, these 18 different people or these different agencies all can confirm without question that these five to seven people can account for Bill's whereabouts for the night of Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm. No, man. It
2: says it was investigated, but I have to believe that they, by that statement, that they believe it to be true, but I wanted a little more than than just that. And then regarding his the, the kidnapping of his daughter and her friend, 22 years to the day. Right. Right. Again, it's another situation. One, because it's 1974, there's very little information about that particular crime other than it's unsolved. So I don't know if they had reason to believe that they knew who did it or if they had a really good suspect in that case. And likely there's a chance that if the other girl was the one that was molested, she may have been, in fact, the target. It, it's it's but the the thing that you can't get over and if anybody tells me that they can get a, get over it phew, let's sit down and have a beer because mm-hmm. 22 years to the day there's 365 days in a year and it happens on the same date that's just freaking weird to me right. uh, it it sounds like something that you would see in a movie or 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 a uh, fictionalized version of of some kind of crime
0: Right and but to call the Santa Bill uh, a pedophile, I don't think we have any. No,
2: you're it, right. We yeah. have
0: no evidence of that. That would
2: it. be way out of bounds.
0: Right, but it's also.
2: But he's creepy to me, man.
0: He's he, creepy, he, but he on top me of that, out, right? But on top of that, we know with pedophiles they put themselves in situations to be around children, which he is doing, and the fact that he also would be going to adult stores, video stores, to me, I don't have a problem with that. My issue is the fact that your wife didn't know about it. That becomes creepy to me.
2: The thing that's that's odd about that to me is that he like he doesn't try to hide this from the police. Mm -hmm. I think they found out on their own and they present it to him and he he was embarrassed, but they they say his reaction wasn't that of somebody that's guilty of anything more than that particular action. They believed he was just embarrassed, one, for, for other people knowing this. And his statement to them, now mind you, this has not been released to the public as far as the details go, but his generalized statement to the detectives was that he has some type of fantasy that, that he's not his wife is unaware of uh, that That it's something that he's he's been into for a long time like and, kids what's that
0: <laughs> i was gonna say like kids go ahead
2: well i don't know what that would what the fantasy is my guess is that the detectives do uh-huh. being he's purchasing things at an adult bookstore they usually don't <laughs> they don't sell things that involve no, no, children. I mean, no. uh, so we we know that, but I also have to wonder: is his fantasy something that, that the detectives did not find to be relevant to the case?
0: Yeah, I mean, because when you could have some homosexual tendencies or or fantasies, and 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 then they go, well, that doesn't line up. But again, where's the evidence of whatever he's stating? And like you said, yes, they don't sell child pornography at at adult bookstores. But if you're if you're making claims to throw them off the scent in any way, how is this backed up? And then we have this situation again, where if John Binet Ramsey ate pineapple with the intruder, that the intruder would be somebody that she would have known and also felt comfortable with. And I also think what a great way to show up in your Santa outfit. And therefore, even if John or Patsy woke up, yeah, you're a little odd. And yeah, it would take some discussing. And they might never invite you back to their house. But you could go, well, I told her I was going to visit her. So I just, I, I got a key and I was just going to let myself in and leave her a gift. And even though they claim that these bears were bought for this pageant, I can't confirm that other than just some simple line on some Internet uh, thread. And to me, it's very odd that there's this bear that neither one of the parents know about. And now it's missing. And we have a police department that I think was so focused on putting this on the parents that they didn't do a good enough job working on these other suspects. I also think with the handwriting samples, we don't have any fingerprints or DNA that I know of on the letters. So we can assume that this individual is writing these letters with some kind of glove on. Well, how much does that glove alter their handwriting? And so unless you're giving people handwriting samples where you're making them wear a certain type of glove, I don't think you're going to get the correct answers there. And then they say, and this is the most asinine thing I heard from law enforcement, probably in the whole case. Well, we also ruled out Santa bill because he had a heart condition. So he physically couldn't do this. Okay. Well, and I was telling you about this local detective. I, I, sat down and talked with him about the Ramsey case and I was saying, yeah, this Santa Bill, there's a lot of things that line up to make him look like the best suspect. And even the DA at some point said, hey, he's the best suspect. Or believed that she thought he was the best suspect for a while. And this detective went on to tell me that they had a case where everything was pointing to this gentleman but he was in very bad health condition and he was actually walking with two canes. So the more and more they're going, we think it's this guy, but he physically couldn't do it. So they brought him in, had him take a lie detector. He fails. And then he admits to the whole crime, gives a full confession. And then they have to figure, you know, well, how were you able to do this? It was a sexually motivated crime, and the adrenaline gave this guy the strength to do it. The want was more than or this desire was more than the the pain you know the or the physical limitations and see, I would also argue too that you go you write this note this. This ransom note. I also think that it, the ransom note proves that somebody had some idea about writing. They put too many commas in there for some simple criminal. So you have this girl down in the basement. And like I said to you, I don't know. See, with the grot, that is going to determine how hard you can strangle the person, not your physical limitations. The grot helps you choke. Now, the grot, based on most autopsies or the way people look at the autopsy, the choking wasn't to kill her. The choking was for uh, sexual gratification. It was a sexual act. So that's where I wonder, did did Santa Bill put Jomine Ramsey into that suitcase and then try to get that suitcase out the window or try to move her at some point and drops her, creating the fracture on the skull. And then at some point goes, I can't physically carry her out of here. So now I just have to leave. So I think the physical limitations can come into play because you don't have to carry her down to the basement because you're saying a bill and she feels comfortable and she showed you the basement before you can just say, Hey, can you show me the basement again? And now you're at the crime scene
2: regarding, I, I got to go, go through your stuff here real quick before we move on. If I find you in my house in the middle of the night, there's no explanation. You're getting a free ride to the County jail and you're going to get to stay the night there for free as well. But, I get what you're saying. Oh, no, no,
0: you're not. You're going to leave my house in an ambulance. If you're you're at the kitchen table with my daughter at midnight, 1 o'clock, dressed as Santa Claus, you're going to be going to the hospital.
2: The other thing that I, I want to kind of echo here, Captain, is I don't know how well you can trust these handwriting samples to eliminate someone. I'm with you. I think it's very strange that they use that word. Well, we, we analyzed so-and-so's handwriting and determined that they did not write the letter.
0: And we know that they made Patsy Ramsey write the note over four times. One of uh, John Ramsey's worker partners, um, Merriman, they had him write it over seven times. So did they just take one sample from Bill or or what?
2: What you want to do in those situations as an investigator is you want to collect a handwriting sample that you believe to be something that this person wrote before you're there asking them to write something for you. Right. So, and we know that did happen in the case of John and Patsy Ramsey. We know that it did happen in some of the other uh, suspects or people that were looked at as well. But where I'm going with this whole, how can we eliminate somebody with the handwriting sample? To, to, to just kind of echo your point, one, there is very strong reason to believe that the author was wearing gloves at the time that they wrote this letter. There's also reason to believe, and this is based off of the expert's opinion. This is not dumb Nick Crispy Colonel Mm -hmm. The notorious NIC here in the garage coming up with a a stupid opinion. Mm -hmm. But the experts have stated that they have reason to believe that it's possibly authored by a right-handed individual that was choosing to write the letter left-handed. They believe this so much that they conducted a study to determine how long it would take a right-handed person to write this letter left-handed. The average time that they came out with was 35 minutes. That's copying the note from a note that you would have brought with you, uh, or in this case, for the the purpose of these tests that they were conducting, they're looking at the ransom letter and copying it then with their left hand. I don't want to get too much into the note because, as we've already shown, you can get wrapped up in a two-hour conversation about the note itself. Let's just talk about about it again. I just want to point out that I think that it's very difficult And I think it's actually irresponsible to say that you're going to eliminate people based off of handwriting sample. And to your point as well, Captain, especially if you have somebody that you've only collected one sample from them.
0: Yeah. The other thing I want to point out is that I was reading a lot of speculation. It came from multiple internet sources that after the murder Santa bill would talk about that he also had a remember how John Binet was his special friend that he yep. didn't have too many special friends, but he had a special friend earlier and i've I have looked everywhere for this. I have found names um but I can't find any proof of this at all other than he was saying that he had another special friend that was actually murdered. I think five years before and was a seven-year-old boy. Again, I found two different names for that seven-year-old boy, but I cannot find any proof that this boy existed or was murdered or anything.
2: I shied away from that on purpose because some of the information I found suggested that the, the child was, was sick, was terminally ill. and and passed away from some type of illness.
0: Which is fine, but when you go around telling a bunch of people that you had another special friend that was murdered, that's a little strange if they weren't
2: murdered. Well, if in fact he said that. If the the child died of of an illness, he's not going to be telling people that. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I do want to point out we don't have any real strong evidence here. Santa Bill truly does weird me out the more I look at him, the more he weirds me out. And I don't just mean, I'm not talking about appearance. I'm talking about actions and, and things surrounding him and his name. As it relates to this case, I would love to sit down for a couple of beers or even a couple cup of coffee with the DA that once said, this was or my maybe prime some suspect. Hot tea. This was my prime suspect. I want to know why this Particular DA believe that they could not eliminate him, after so many others say that you could. I do, I do very much. Full question shit.
0: But look, when when we know for a fact that they're releasing information to the media stating that it had to be inside job, because there's no footprints, and I've seen all these idiots online say, "Well, you know, there was no footprints," and it's as simple as. Did you see all the photos of that day? And when you find out that not only is there a roadway that goes up to a, to a driveway that goes to the house that, you know, has all these sidewalks that have no snow on it. Why not you just not walk through the grass? It, it, it's it baffles me that they would put out this information knowing that it's false. Well, there was no footprints in the snow. So, therefore, it had to be inside job. But you're not telling the full story. It's not fully covered in snow. So, it just drives me nuts. And then so all these other... And look, and I'm not saying that the Ramses are innocent. What I'm saying is that you have to investigate everybody equally. And it doesn't seem like that happened here.
2: Who are you saying is full of shit?
0: Law enforcement
2: and the police... But I was talking about the district attorney. I want to know why this district attorney says and publicly states that at one time this guy was my prime suspect. I would love to know what they're basing that off of in comparison to what law enforcement was basing off that we can eliminate this guy. I do, even as weird as as, as I feel about Santa Bill, I do question the likelihood of his involvement, and I will... I will echo some of their opinions, stating that i I don't believe that he was in the best physical condition, having heart surgery just five months before the murder. Right. I also one thing that that I wonder about too, when we talk about having physical evidence in this case, mind you, yes, the crime scene is contaminated. I'm I will believe nothing other than that statement right, right there, one hundred percent.
0: I think everybody involved. Even the idiots that are involved say, "Hey, but this is contaminated."
2: We're talking about an individual that has a long white beard. Mm-hmm. That, that's not we. Di- we didn't have a hundred people walk in that home that night or that next morning that had a long white beard.
0: Yeah, and anybody with a beard, it, to me, it's not the hair so much of the beard. Meaning, look, if if you're not carrying her then chances are the hair wouldn't get on her. But if, there, if we believe that there was a sexual assault, that we would believe that, that they would find something, I think it would be more likely that they would find some kind of dry skin because the beard will really dry out your skin. And so they would find some kind of dry skin that would link him, not so much a hair, and then with the hair, even if you found a hair, you have the argument that two days beforehand or on the 23rd, that this person is in the house. This individual is in the house. And that would give you reason to believe that you'd find their DNA or fingerprints anywhere.
2: Correct. But for me, if it was an intruder mm-hmm. that killed John Bonet, the only way that works is that there was a sexual assault. This means there was a violent and physical struggle that took place at some place, some point in that home, very likely in that wine cellar. And that's where I would suspect to find more physical evidence of our offender in regards to Jesse McReynolds. We mentioned his kidnapping conviction that that's what kind of put him in front of the police's eyes. And it certainly sounds interesting But I think that we should point out that 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 charge, that conviction of kidnapping, it sounds much more ominous than it truly was. The facts of that case, from my understanding, Captain, he held up a gas station, Mm -hmm. robbed the place of just a little more than $100, and he used a gun during the commission of that robbery, Mm -hmm. and he moved the clerk basically from one side of the the building or store to the other side and at the time in Arizona their law they're stating if you move a person from point A to point B using a weapon you've technically kidnapped that that individual so where where I go to if this was an intruder one of the motives may have been actual kidnapping right so it makes this guy sound interesting. However, that is not what his his previous charge and conviction was, was for. It's a very, very different type of crime. So while we're on the subject, I think that is a good segue to our next possible suspect or someone who was considered a suspect at some point, Gary Merriman. Now, Gary Merriman was Access Graphics Director of Human Resources. He publicly has stated that he felt that he was a suspect. He previously worked 14 years in criminal justice as a psychologist, including years at the Florida Department of Corrections. He's kind of a natural fit, I think, for at least some questioning by police. Of course, detectives are going to look into individuals working for or working with Access Graphics. He is also the man that answered the phone the morning of what was believed at the time to be a kidnapping when John Ramsey called his work, informing them as to what was going on or what he believed was going on. Right. I think it's fair for Merriman to say that he considered himself a suspect Not because he considers himself to be guilty of anything or looks suspicious. He's stating that the, the actions of the detectives indicated to him that he must be considered a suspect.
0: Well, I think they had him give over seven handwriting samples.
2: He was questioned multiple times. He gave, as you stated, at least seven handwriting samples. He also provided police with his fingerprints. He gave blood and he gave hair as well. I can't find any documentation to state that that any of this evidence would be a match to evidence collected at the scene. There have been many reports that state that regarding the handwriting analysis that Merriman could not be ruled out as a possible author of the ransom letter.
0: Yeah, I've actually seen that he was on the higher spectrum as far as a match goes higher than even Patsy Ramsey was.
2: And I know we just said that, or I just said that I, I think it's irresponsible to say we've eliminated somebody based off of handwriting analysis, but we should point out that out of all the handwriting samples that they took, most of these people were quote unquote ruled out or eliminated. Right. And then we have very few that that stayed on the the list of people we cannot rule out. Now, Merriman, just like several other people in this case who were questioned multiple times or the request for multiple handwriting samples mm-hmm. asked by police. He's one of several that, that, that stood up in his own defense to the police and said something to the effect of, you know, I'm here assisting you and cooperating in your investigation. Where are the Ramseys? What are they doing at this time? You've talked to me multiple times. You've asked me for this, this, and this, and I've provided this, this, and this to you. What is going on with the case that that they are not being looked at? Some of these individuals, I believe, that they truly just felt that they were beating, being treated unfairly in the eyes of the detectives and the police.
0: Now, Gary Merriman is not an individual that John Ramsey told the police that they should look into, but Jeff Merrick is is somebody and is also somebody that Gary Merriman said the police should look into.
2: Yeah. And the basic story of Jeff Merrick is he's an ex access graphics employee. He met John Ramsey in 1971. He knew him for a very long time. Mm -hmm. He met him when they both worked at AT AT&T in Columbus, Ohio. Now he was one of the individuals that helped Ramsey start access or whatever the uh, micro South or whatever it was called at the time he quit in 1996. This is when, according to Merrick, when the, the company was in trouble and the Ram and Ramsey needed to cut some salaries. So he says access graphics owed him $118,000. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting amount. Apparently they settled And he did receive half of that money. He did file ethics violations with uh, corporate headquarters at Lockheed Martin, which owned Access Graphics. According to the book Death of Innocence on page 66, this is John Ramsey's words Jeff Merrick, who had threatened to bring me and Access Graphics down when he left the company in 1996. So as you were pointing out, Captain, this is an individual that John Ramsey names by name on day 1 when asked by police and detectives, do you have any enemies?
0: Well, yeah, cuz he was making threats too. Yeah, so.
2: He names Je- Jeff Merrick as an enemy. We have John, sorry, Gary Merriman for for the last 4 weeks I've been wanting to call that guy John Merriman. His name's Gary, mm-hmm. Nick. It's Gary. Anyway, Gary Merriman says that Jeff Merrick would be an enemy as well. And then we have Nedra. Nedra is Patsy's mother. Okay. When she is asked for a list of suspects, she included Jeff Merrick and his vicious wife, Mm. which is Kathy Merrick. One little known fact inside this story that, that, that I think gets, lost and i don't know how important it is but it's interesting for the makeup of the company and the makeup of John's success and Patsy and her family in relationship to John's success her father was very much involved in all of John Ramsey's businesses okay he helped ramsey as as did patsy helped john set up his businesses initially when his company was in trouble financially, it was Patsy's father that bailed him out with a loan. And to further that, at one point, we have his father-in-law, John Ramsey's father-in-law, Patsy Ramsey's father, working for John Ramsey. So, this statement by Nedra from Patsy's mother is not just simply somebody who's on the outside looking in who just overheard this from John and Patsy. Right. This is somebody that has insider knowledge of things going on at access graphics. According to Kathy Merrick and Jeff Merrick, their alibi for the night in question is they visited Kathy's brother-in-law in Aurora Colorado and then visited Dick and Diane foot and they were home around 8 PM, Watched TV and then went to bed. So not a great alibi and the stuff that I see in front of me here, captain states that they did not cooperate in the sense of giving fingerprints, blood, hair, handwriting samples. I couldn't find a confirmation that those things were provided from Jeff Merrick to, the authorities. I will say this. He was questioned multiple times, and he did answer their questions. And he, too, just like Gary Merriman, was one that said, I'm here answering your questions. Where is John Ramsey? He's accused me of this, of being a suspect, and I'm reading in the papers that you guys are unable to speak to the Ramsey family.
0: Were they able to test his DNA? Do you do you know? Jeff? The
2: information that I have states that none of that was provided to police.
0: But they pretty much Kind of ruled him out.
2: I again, I don't have any information stating mm-hmm. that they ruled him out. I the information I have states he was questioned multiple times, to which he ultimately ended up getting confrontational with them in the end because he's reading in the paper and seeing on TV that the Ramses are untouchable and they won't answer the police's questions. But here you are disrupting my personal life, right? By asking me the same questions on several occasions.
0: Well, let's get to a guy, Chris Wolf.
2: Yeah, his real name is Robert Christian Wolf. He's mm-hmm. extremely interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, he's not somebody that was on the inner circle of the Ramses or on the inner circle of Access Graphics. This he, is
0: like an unknown intruder.
2: He comes to our attention from his girlfriend, his girlfriend, Jackie Dilson. She comes forward to police and states, because remember, there is a time that's going on here where the police... And the Ramseys are asking the public for their help. So she comes forward to Boulder police Mm -hmm. and states that Chris Wolf was out all night long regarding the night in question. And when he came home, he was covered in mud and he was acting extremely strange. This is all her opinion. Obviously Mm -hmm. the weird connection he may have is this kind of furthers this suspicion Along here is this same girlfriend adds that he should be considered a suspect in the death and the murder of Suzanne Chase, who was killed December 21st, 1997. Wolf apparently dated Suzanne Chase at some point. His knowledge regarding the Ramseys or the case itself, he was a journalist who worked as a reporter for Colorado Daily and for the Boulder County Business Reports. And apparently he interviewed Cheryl McGraw, who is a secretary at Access Graphics. He comes onto our radar again by a tip from his girlfriend at the time. It states here, now this is his own claims, so I cannot back this up, but Wolf was a guest on the O'Reilly Factor, and this was from May of 2000, 2000 where he states in his interview that he did provide fingerprints and hair and handwriting samples. Again, that's his claims. The weird thing about Chris Wolf though is his alibi is completely the opposite statement from his girlfriends. Chris Wolf says I was in bed early, approximately nine thirty or ten PM. I did not wake up or get up or go out until the next morning. Right. According to the book Perfect Murder, Perfect Town, it does state that Chris Wolf did provide his DNA and it was not a match for what they were looking for. The next one we're going to have to call the unknown suspect. And this is in reference to a crime that occurred just nine months after John Binet was murdered. This takes place in an affluent part of Boulder, not terribly far from the Ramseys' home. A mother and her 12-year-old daughter came home from the movies. They are alone in their home. It's late. The mom sets the burglar alarm and goes to bed an intruder crept into the girl's bedroom. He put his hand over the girl's mouth, said the girl's name, and told her he knew her. He starts a sexual assault, and it's believed he was working toward a possible abduction of this girl as well. But the mother, she wakes up, she hears noises and goes to her daughter's room. She sees the man. He runs, and he goes out of a bedroom window, jumps off the roof to the ground below, and flees the area. The man was dressed in all black, from head to toe, and wearing a mask. This 12-year-old girl attended the same dance studio as John Bonet the Dance West studio. Uh-huh. This person has never been identified, and we have the father of the victim who says he believes that the intruder may have already been hiding inside the home when the mother and daughter returned to the house, just waiting there to attack this girl.
0: Right, we've seen that in in a lot of different cases. Seems like to me like this is a great lead and something that law enforcement should have followed up on more because we have that connection of the dance studio and and having especially a, a predator that is able to go to a place that he knows that kids are going to be at. He can walk in there freely, basically stalk these individuals and then attack them at their home.
2: The dance studio very well could have nothing to do with that attack. It is a weird connection to getting us back to John Benet's case, their home, not being terribly far from the Ramseys, the second crime taking place just nine months later. Those are all very weird things that that really put a chance that this offender is somehow in the the circle of the Ramseys or the neighborhood or that dance studio. It's really, truly interesting. And the other thing, too, I want to point out for me anyway, if the intruder theory in the Ramsey case is, in fact, correct, then I believe that we need to have a certain level of criminal sophistication where here we have that in this particular crime. We see somebody that is good at getting into the home. They got close to the assault that they were seeking, potential abduction of this girl, and they were able to flee the area without being identified. Okay. So there is some sophistication there. But way back in 2004, Aaron Moriarty reported the following. The Boulder District Attorney investigators haven't completely ruled out anyone and have a list of people they'd like to talk to, reportedly more than 100 names. It's a list that still includes Gary Olivia and anyone who can shed more light on the mysterious death of Michael Helgoth. And that includes their friends and associates that investigators strongly consider people of interest. There is now what is believed to be a complete DNA profile of, Of John Benet Ramsey's killer, an unknown male. There is strong evidence that he may have had an accomplice and that he may have tried to kill again. A really great way to listen to True Crime Garage and check out all of our old episodes is the free Stitcher app and a really great other show to listen to it's called off the record it's our other show it's on stitcher premium you can go to true crime to learn more about both of those thank you to everyone for joining us in the garage today please join us again tomorrow for episode six until then be good be kind and don't litter